we always say experience is a good teacher. It's not. Experience is not just not a good teacher. Experience is not a teacher. You've never, you've never had an experience that has interpreted itself to you. Experience can't teach you anything. You're, you're always one or the people around you are the ones who are interpreting the significance of the experiences that you're going through. And so <clears throat> that's where I would say it's kind of like where God and, and the Word of God come in is it's not like experiences of difficulty or pain or suffering are telling me anything. I'm telling myself what these things mean, and am I a trustworthy source to interpret the significance of these things, or am I going to look to God and let Him, if not tell me why all of these things are happening, at least tell me who He is in light of all the stuff that's going on. Welcome to Be One Make One, a discipleship podcast. This is a show where we share stories and tools to equip everyday followers of Jesus to make disciples. On every episode, I have a conversation with someone whose life reflects Jesus' command to go and make disciples. Loss and grief are unavoidable. This week, I talk with my friend Norm about how grief and loss can lead us to a deep experience of Jesus. Well, Norm, thanks for being here today. Yeah, it's a pleasure. Yeah, you're one of my favorite people, I think. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> the feeling is mutual. Um, something that I want to discuss today is um, just this concept of grief and discipleship together. Yeah. How would you say that over the course of your life, how has grief affected your relationship with God? Um, well, my story... Um, comes in pro probably the first time that my Hollywood version of what the Christian life looked like um, got really trammeled was in my late 20s. I had gotten married pretty young to uh, my late wife, Katie. We had met in college and uh, involved with the Navigators Ministry in college, and that's how we got to know each other. We got married right out of college and then had our first child fairly young. When he was three years old, uh, he started spiking these fevers, and uh, we didn't know what was going on. And so um, we took him to the, a pediatrician in a pretty small town in Alabama, and we see God's hand in this because right away, this pediatrician suspected that he might be dealing with juvenile rheumatoid arthritis, which is a fairly rare uh, condition. It's, it's just rheumatoid arthritis, but it, it happens in children rather than like really old people. And uh, she, had, uh, she had diagnosed and been treating a child in her practice in this, again, pretty small community in Alabama with JRA, juvenile rheumatoid arthritis. And sure enough, she was spot on in her diagnosis right away. But the thing about JRA is that um, it's sort of it's not curable. It's kind of treatable, like adult rheumatoid arthritis. You can't make it go away necessarily, but you can kind of treat the symptoms. But uh, you know, of course, as a young parent, you're like trying to wrap your mind around a pretty unexpected diagnosis. It just seemed like fevers, and surely it's just like a virus or something. And instead, it turned into a you know, multi-year, for us, a little over three-year-plus process of helping our three-year-old um, 
with really, really painfully inflamed joints where at times he couldn't get out of bed. Um, and you know, at three, you can't understand what's going on. And so, um, I think that, um, yeah, both, uh, Katie, my late wife and I would say that's where our sort of kind of, uh, fake floral picture of what the future looked like, um, walking with God, uh, pretty much got set aside for a much more realistic version of what it was going to look like for us to walk through, uh, life with God in a broken and fallen world. And, um, yeah, that's, uh, for both of us, um, we would have said that was one of the most painful experiences that we'd ever been through and ever would go through. Um, cause it's just, it's hard, it's hard to see a child suffering. You know, there were times where you would just go, you know, if it were just us, if it was me, like I, you know, I have resources that I can kind of bring to bear. I have an understanding of the world and sin and, you know, but for a three-year-old, you know, to be that, um, hurt, uh, that early was just really, really hard for us. And, um, I know that at that time, uh, Katie would say that she came face to face with, you know, Romans eight, where Paul says, for we know that in all things, God works together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes. And, uh, you know, I would say, she would say wrestled with that. And really at times just said, no, that is not like in light of what I'm having to watch my son go through. It's just not true. And she would really describe that as the darkest time that she ever went through in her soul because you're confronted with um, maybe I could say kind of inexplicable and seemingly meaningless pain that somebody else has to endure that you're caring for. And there's nothing that you can really do or very little that you can do. Um, and it just, uh, it makes God seem like he's either distant or uncaring. And so, you know, your question, there's a long answer to a short question, but your question is just how did, how do these seasons of suffering or grief influence how you walk with God? I think in some ways it's like they 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 test um, your willingness to walk with a God whose ways you do not understand and seem hurtful, but He's declared Himself to be good hmm. and faithful and loving. And so, do I trust what He said about His character when I feel like I can't trust? the way that he's leading me or the hand that he's dealt me. And so, um, you know, that was, that was tough. Um, and then I mean, I've already said Katie then lived with cancer. Uh, this was years later, but, um, was diagnosed with cancer in her mid thirties, uh, breast cancer it was early stage caught really early. And so we were pretty hopeful with the diagnosis and the treatment that she went through, but then she was one of the, you know, one of the statistics, I guess, where the cancer recurred. Um, and then 
uh, had a third diagnosis where the cancer had metastasized. And, um, you know, so that was also just seven years for us of living with uh, a lot of uncertainty about the future and hope. And, um, you know, like many people who have gone through stuff like that, you just um, you're praying for, <laughs> you don't know exactly what you're praying for, but you're praying for a miracle or you're praying for the medicine to work, um, or whatever. And then, you know, as the diagnoses come and the, the probability of surviving the next diagnosis, um, you know, just gets worse and worse for you. Um, then you realize, you know, at some point you say, you know, all, all we have right now is a miraculous cure uh, left. And, you know, med medicine doctors don't give you any hope that any medicine that they know of will bring a cure. And, um, you know, many people probably listening to this have experienced that where you're just, you're praying and praying and praying that God will do something. And he just says no. Um, and it feels like, um, again, just what, what sense, sorry, you know, what sense is there in the death of somebody who loves you and has stayed faithful to you, um, who has, you know, children at home. We had four kids. Um, and so again, it, it just, it's like it tests your, uh, your willingness to keep trusting a God who you just can't figure out why he's doing what he's doing. Um, and we, Katie and I used to say to one another, um, you know, it's like, wh what am I going to trust? Am I going to trust my fallible interpretation of a few experiences in a fallen world? Or am I going to trust the scriptures? Um, and, let me just say that there are times where your few experiences in a fallen world are so very tangible and real and contrary to what you read in the scripture that is tempting just to say, I'm going to let my experiences tell me who God is. And the crazy thing about that is um, we always say experience is a good teacher. It's not experience is not just not a good teacher experience is not a teacher you've never you've never had an experience that has interpreted itself to you experience mm -hmm. can't teach you anything you you're always one of the people around you are the ones who are interpreting the significance of the experiences that you're going through and so <clears throat> that's where i would say it's kind of like where god and and the word of god come in is it's not like experiences of difficulty or pain or suffering or telling me anything. I'm telling myself what these things mean. And am I a trustworthy source to interpret the significance of these things? Or am I going to look to God and let him, if not tell me why all of these things are happening, at least tell me who he is in light of all the stuff that's going on. So that's kind of a mouthful, but... Um, uh, no, I, th I think that's great. Yeah. Um, so how, yeah, how do you think of of discipleship and how does grief, how do you help someone as they're grieving? Um, yeah, what's that look like? 
Yeah. My snarky answer was like, uh, be Job's friends, but don't say anything. Because <laughs> uh, it's like, in some ways, it was like maybe typical of, of the culture of the ancient Near East. As soon as they found out of the just the devastation that Job had experienced, they showed up. They came to him and they sat silently with him um, as he wept and mourned, you know. Um, and then things kind of went bad when they started trying to explain to him uh, why all of this terrible stuff had happened to him. And so there's a side of me that says, you know, do the first part of what Job's friends do for anybody who's going through suffering. If it's someone you're close to who you're helping them grow, um, even if it's someone who's distant, um, I think a lot of people, we, we certainly experience, <laughs> experience this, mm. um, just people um, showing up to help lift a load, uh, practically to be available to help. Um, it takes some discernment to um, in a relationship that you have with someone to know um, some people need to talk. Um, like my, my current wife, Christy, you know, she'll jokingly say, you know, if she has to like think it all out in her own head, her head will blow up. You know, she's a verbal processor and she needs to be able to talk through things. Uh, but you know, when her husband, Dan passed away, her first husband, Dan passed away, she didn't need everybody showing up to verbally process with her. It's like, it has to do with the the kind of friendship that you have and the closeness that you have with people. Um, but I would definitely say like uh, showing up and continuing to do so because there's a tendency that people who have lost, especially lost a loved one, um, that a lot of people will rally around them initially, but then very few will stay with them over the months that are ahead and there's a lot of emptiness in the months that are ahead. Um, and so, yeah, showing up to be with people. Uh, Katie wrote uh, some stuff um, when she was still alive. And it's really, I think she stole this from Tim Keller. So she was stealing from the best. If not, it was, uh, I can't remember. It may have been from another book she was reading. Uh, but her way of extracting this point, she said, everyone who is suffering needs a theologian in their life, which is so, it's like an odd thing to say. Yeah, that's it's very odd. <laughs> she said, you know, her experience was you can go so low in your, like, I mean, physical health, but in your thinking, it just gets so confusing and so distressing at times that you need a person who can come alongside you and with with wisdom and grace uh, be able to say the true thing and the good thing that points you back to the Lord. So, yeah. Um, what are the uh, disciplines or practices that for you really keep you following closely to Jesus? Um, number one on the list for me is spending extended time alone with God, uh, especially in light of what we've been talking about. You know, when when God is the last person that you want to talk to, um, 
it's probably a good idea to choose to go sit alone with him um, so that you have no other alternative except to uh, talk to him, perhaps listen to him. Um, it's a very neglected discipline, you know, like maybe overall we are, uh, we're more programmed for like, give me like a, a summary, give me a good sermon or a podcast. <clears throat> I'm on a podcast, but you know, <laughs> like, like let someone else distill for me the things that I need for my soul. But there are just some things that you cannot receive digested by others. Uh, you just got to go, um, and be alone with the Lord. And, uh, I don't know that I give people good advice on this, but you know, I have students because I work in campus ministry. I have students who ask me, well, what am I supposed to do in extent, like three hours alone with the Lord? What am I supposed to do? And I say, that is the problem, not the question. The problem is your entire sense of self is oriented around what am I going to accomplish to make myself feel like I've done something worthwhile for others or for God. And this is like the one time where you go in saying, I am not trying to do anything. I'm trying to be God's child. Uh, I'm trying to face him though. He has hurt me or I'm angry with him. Um, you know, I've, there have been multiple times where I have resolved that I'm going to go out and spend extended time alone with God. For me, when possible, I go outdoors, uh, away from distractions, um, and and I can't. I just, I'll, you know, I'll go out and I'll sit down, and I'm so emptied out that it's like, it's like, <laughs> it would be like me trying to go run, run for three hours right now. I couldn't do it. I could run for like, a mile and then I'm just done. Um, and so, and then I, I would say to you who, if you've had that experience or you have it, don't beat yourself up, just go back next week and try again. Um, and trust that God is not just with you, but he's for you. Uh, but sometimes we've let so much tension build up in our relationship with God that we don't want to. And so, uh, for me, that is number one. Number two is, uh, I kind of started this by myself and then I've, uh, I've joined in the company of a few friends where, uh, we've been memorizing through the book of Psalms together. Um, and you know, if you quiz me right now, it's not like I can remember <laughs> all, you know, off the cuff, every Psalm, but we take a Psalm a month and we, uh, commit it to memory uh, if it's not like just ridiculously long. And if it's ridiculously long or it's just too much, then you just take a stanza of the psalm, the one that stands out to you most, and memorize that. And uh, what it has meant for me is that uh, I do not just sit there and try to figure out God and life in my own head. Uh, I, I listen to the Lord uh, and in some ways, because you're trying to memorize scripture, you're kind of muttering it <laughs> to yourself, you know, a lot. Um, you're, you're, you're just sort of talking truth to yourself a lot. And honestly, if you memorize through the Psalms, sometimes you're talking about 
you're memorizing stuff that it itself is not exactly peace-filled. Some of it's right. unsettling. Um, stick with it. Like I don't, I try not to cherry pick the stuff that I just like. Um, I try to stay with stuff that is even difficult for me to like get my mind around because God has revealed himself in it. Uh, so I would say that that, that practice of meditating pretty deeply on scripture has been, uh, really important for me. And then I'll just say, finally, for me going through, especially the immediate, well, no, longer term too, um, I can, uh, I could isolate myself pretty easily from people. Um, it's easier for me not to have to talk, not to have to explain what I'm thinking or how I'm doing. Cause you know, half the time again, I don't know or didn't know. And so for me, um, resolving to stay in community with people, even though I wanted to flee from the company of people, uh, was a discipline that I needed, but I sometimes didn't want. And there's a balance there, of course. Like, I don't need to flood my life with people to the exhaustion of my soul. Um, but because my, my own tendency is toward isolation, uh, I needed to ensure that I was in community. And I say that knowing there are some people who are listening who their tendency would be exactly the opposite. I'm just going to talk incessantly with everyone on social media or in person because I can't handle the loneliness or the sense of isolation in my suffering. And probably they need to make the opposite decision. There are going to be some times where I draw aside where it's just me. Um, so I guess kind of knowing, knowing some of those tendencies that would get you off the way and being purposeful, uh, to stay, um, not just true to the Lord, but fostering and choosing some habits that will keep you, um, keep your mind and your heart, um, with the Lord and healthy are important. And of course, if somebody's going through like the immediate loss, man, there's some simple steps of just like keeping yourself healthy. Um, there's a real tendency to just sort of like take a nosedive and stop eating or overeat, over drink, mm. you know. And so uh, in that case to pull in some community around you that can um, be a just a genuine support and accountability in some of that is really important. Yeah, well, great stuff, Norm. Thanks. That's really helpful. Um, all those practices, I think, are are great and not that difficult to do. Yeah, um, they're within our reach. Yeah, so that, wow. Well, I feel encouraged. Um, well, thanks for making the time. I think this has been really great. Glad to. Thanks for asking me to come. Yeah. Be One Make One is a production of The Navigators in Colorado Springs, Colorado. We'd love to hear from you. Send us an email, podcast at navigators.org. 